everything happened in seconds. These images look like Dante's Inferno. Well, welcome back. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, not to mention all fine podcast download sites across the globe. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you once again for tuning into the Bradcast. And my thanks to Angie Coiro of Indeep Radio for filling in for us on yesterday's cast as we uh, sneak in a few much-needed personal days in midsummer here and there, wherever we can find them. Uh, I think she'll be back later on this uh, week, I believe. But in the meantime... The uh, the world remains on fire, both metaphorically and literally, it seems. Uh, we'll cover a bit of both today, I'm afraid, uh, starting in um, Phoenix, Arizona on Monday, where the mercury hit 115 degrees Fahrenheit. We're seeing records there as well today. Uh, but that uh, uh, temperature, 115 on Monday, that was the highest recorded temperature ever on a July 23rd. Desi Doyen last year uh, during a similar heat wave in, was it in Arizona when yes. we had talked about this? Uh, we had reported on uh, it was so hot at the time that planes were grounded They because they have trouble taking off, getting loft yeah. in uh, in hot weather, right? Yes, heat is, is a big problem for airplanes. And uh, this was last June, June 2017, when the heat wave was so extreme. It put, you know, temperatures were pushing the operational limits of those airplanes. They grounded the planes last year. But you tell me today that American Airlines apparently has come up with a solution to that yes, to deal yes. with so we don't have to worry about it anymore what what what's their solution well you know american airlines the operating limits of their planes are that they can't take off at temperatures above 117 degrees so they fixed it oh good by agreeing with the faa to change the operating limits of the airplanes 
problem solved. Voila. They can now operate at 123 degrees just because they said so. Just because they said, just because they got the FAA to agree that, hey, you can go 123 if you want. Yep. Fantastic. Um, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, right. Uh, you planning on getting on a plane anytime soon? <laughs> Not in Phoenix. Well, uh, so anyway, that problem is solved uh, thanks to some quick work by uh, American and uh, FAA. See, so we don't have to worry that's about American that. American Airlines ingenuity. That's there you go. Uh, but of course, global warming is not just having deadly consequences uh, here in the U.S. Last week, uh, we noted. Uh, there were uh, hundreds of deaths from flooding and landslides after massive rainstorms in Japan. There was uh, some uh, 200 dead, I think, from those uh, f- over 200 from that flooding. Shortly thereafter, they had an extreme heat wave as well. That was blamed for at least 65 deaths in Japan over the past week as Japan hit the warmest temperatures Ever, yes. I think, in uh, Japan. A city in northern Japan, mind you, this is northern Japan, hit 106 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. That is an all-time record high for the country of Japan. We are seeing records all over the globe. We're seeing records here in the U.S. Another uh, 21, by the way, were killed in flooding in Vietnam. We're now seeing some uh, pretty massive flooding on the East Coast, Pennsylvania, moving up the coast. And today, tragically, it seems to be Greece's turn for uh, the worst of the deadly extreme weather, which we could do something about, but we just don't seem to care enough about it to do so. Or the global fossil fuel uh, interests are willing to fork out enough money to keep us from caring enough to do anything about it, perhaps. But in Greece, wildfires raged throughout seaside resorts near the Greek capital of Athens. Torching homes, cars, forests killed at least 74 people as we go to air today, according to authorities. 26 of the dead were found huddled together in a compound near the sea, while a few bodies were recovered from the sea where they had fled to try to escape the flames and the smoke. Greece indoors wildfires every summer, according to AP, but the fires that broke out on Monday were the deadliest in uh, at least decades, and they were fueled by gale force winds. There were fears, of course, that the death toll will will rise even further as there has been no definitive count of how many people were missing, but these gale force winds reminds me of uh, what we talked about uh, late last week in, uh, well, in both Iowa, where they had some 27 tornadoes that yes. sort of appeared out of nowhere with that blew up very quickly with very little warning from the National Weather Service. Right. And uh, the uh, huge sudden storm in uh, Missouri that uh, killed all those folks on that uh, duck boat on Table Rock Lake there. These storms seem to be unbelievably intense and appearing often just out of nowhere. Uh, And this is with our, you know, state of the art, our more state of the art than ever weather and and climate systems and and warning systems. And yet these these storms, these fires, these floods seem to be just 
kind of coming out of nowhere. Yeah, our forecasting ability has improved dramatically over the last several decades, even over just the last couple of years as computing power has accelerated. However, we're really not able to keep up with the changes that global warming is wreaking across the world. I mean, this, you know, climate change doesn't cause these things to happen. Climate change intensifies these things. So, you know, when we have the uh, heat wave in Japan that shows no sign of stopping, it's kind of stuck there through, they believe, the beginning of August at least. Mm. Uh, The same thing with these... And uh, and that's with, what was it, uh, 26 dead in, or something like that, over the past, uh, I'm sorry, 65 dead over the past week alone in Japan, and this is going to continue on now for weeks? Right. This is happening in areas that are not accustomed to having these extreme extended heat waves. Mm. They they don't have air conditioning. Their people aren't used to, they haven't acclimated to the increased heat wave. This is the kind of stuff that climate scientists literally predicted were going to happen. Uh, They said we're going to see the hot places get hotter, wet places get wetter. There's going to be a lot of more intense, accelerated extreme weather events happening because of global warming and its impact on our weather systems. It intensifies everything. Coast guards are still uh, off the shores of Greece near these fire hit areas uh, today with more than 700 people were where 700 people were trapped by these quick moving fires that uh, that had to be rescued from the beaches or the sea. They at least made it to the sea. A uh, lot of people did not. A lot of people made it to the sea, but that was it. They died at they sea trying to escape this fire. Yeah. Right. Uh, one resident uh, said it happened very fast. The fire was in the distance. Then sparks from the fire reached us. Then the fire was all around us. They had uh, he this uh, gentleman and his wife and four friends swam out into the sea to escape the smoke. They said they quickly became disoriented. They lost sight of the shore and uh, they were swept out further by the winds and the currents. And two of their group did not survive. Someone else nearby said everything happened in seconds. This uh, next to the compound uh, in Mati, Greece, where the uh, 26 bodies were found. Uh, some of them huddled together, hugging in uh, groups. Uh, they appear to be families in uh, groups of two, three, and four. Police uh, apparently tried to uh, direct everyone away from the fire, but they said they could not escape it. They got stuck in traffic, and the flames were on top of us. We managed to find a small gap, and we made it out. That was one of the uh, lucky few who did. In all, there were 47 fires that broke out across Greece on Monday and early into Tuesday. Good news, bad news. Uh, There is heavy rain forecast across southern Greece on Wednesday. That's the good news, which may help fight the fires. We'll see how heavy those fire those uh, those um, that rain turns out to be. Yeah. And what kind of damage it does in these fire stricken areas. Right. Because remember, when you have a big forest fire, it tends to denude the landscape of vegetation that would slow down torrential rain and prevent it from creating flash floods. So they may have a double whammy here. It may help put out the fires. We'll just have to see. Uh, Temperatures reached up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit uh, recently in Greece. So um, that's not good. Meanwhile, as uh, Americans, at least uh, in some states, some states like California are trying 
to to take some action on climate change and related environmental disasters in the face of this uh, continuing resistance we see from Republicans at both the state and federal level. Uh, with that, I received this tweet uh, to the Brad blog where you can and should uh, follow and uh, share us as well on the Twitters uh, on Monday from listener Butte Gal. So named, I believe, because she lives in Butte, Montana. She tweets, quote, so much for Republicans off touted states rights. She uh, cited this uh, story from uh, from HuffPost, their coverage. The Trump administration plans to eliminate the special waiver that allows California to regulate automobile emissions as part of its proposed revision of Obama standards. This according to Bloomberg and Reuters on Monday. It is likely that the uh, Trump proposal, which is expected to come out later this week, would trigger a high-stakes legal fight between the federal government and the nation's largest car market. That would be the state of California. The proposed overhauls would cap federal fuel economy requirements at the 2020 average level of 35 miles per gallon instead of mandating that it surpass 50 miles per gallon by the year 2025. The the Obama administration had set those standards as part of an agreement with automakers back in 2012 to scale up fuel efficiency and reduce emissions from the nation's top source of climate change pollution. That would be cars. Uh, Automakers celebrated the 2012 deal at the time. So at the time, automakers were in favor of this. There were they were not complaining, were they? As far as we know, they had reached this agreement. Accepting the billion dollar taxpayer bailout, they were accepting this as a condition. Hey, you must increase mileage standards for the first time in 40 years and continue to accelerate that improvement in mileage standards. And it was a compromise at the time with California's As much, a condition yes. of your survival. I just want to point that yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. It was a compromise with California, which had far stricter standards. And this would allow the all the, uh, you know, the American vehicle, all of the automakers uh, to use one national standard. Under the Clean Air Act, California is allowed to set vehicle emission standards higher than the rest of the country if we want. And with nearly uh, 35 and a half million registered vehicles, the state commands a lot of influence over the automobile market in the U.S. We see about the same um, amount of cars sold uh, here in Canada or here in California as Canada sells the entire country. So a dozen other states, including New York, Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, have followed with uh, California's lead here. But the Trump administration decided that the 2012 deal was just unworkable. This was a few months ago, citing lower gas prices and rejecting scientific calculations of the, quote, social cost of carbon in its 38 page finding. We covered that at the time, I believe, in the Green News Report. But just a quick reminder, what what is the social cost of carbon, Desi Doyne? The social cost of carbon is the cost to the public and to our economy for every unit of carbon emissions that are emitted and not taken care of because of the impact that it has on global warming and the effects that that has on our infrastructure, on our extreme weather events, on people living and dying. Health, right? Stuff like that. Right. 
So um, that is what the uh, Trump administration uh, seemed to reject entirely and to use that to claim, well, we can't uh, we can't honor the deal that uh, the previous administration made with all the country's automakers. So even if the Trump administration rolled back federal fuel efficiency standards, California could maintain its stricter standards. We have a waiver to do so. We have to apparently we have to get permission from the federal government to do this. Now, mind you, you know, Republicans have been pretending they believe in states rights, that states ought to be able to do whatever states want, even if it means taking away rights from people. Well, this is not a matter of taking away people's rights. This is a matter of. Uh, you know, keeping people alive, keeping people healthy, keeping the environment clean, trying to combat global warming and climate change, which have huge impacts on the economy and which we had to get permission from the federal government to do. Incredibly enough, you would think that Republicans of all people would be the ones saying, well, California doesn't need our permission. They have states rights. They can do whatever the hell they want. But no, in fact, as it turns out, it is Republicans who is uh, fighting against California's right to maintain stricter standards when it comes to uh, to automobiles and uh, the miles per gallon that they get. Because they say, well, if California is going to do it, that means everyone else is going to have to do it. Well, you know what? No, they don't have to do it. If they want to have uh, worse standards elsewhere, they are welcome to do it. California has the right. And if, uh, you know, as the Republicans claim, well, this is going to make it harder for business. The automobile companies will lose money. They won't sell as many cars. Well, fine. That would hurt California, wouldn't it? But no, um, they don't care. They, they don't ca actually care about states' rights. And this is one of the reasons I want to cover this, uh, because they have pretended for years to care about states' rights in all sorts of things except the stuff that they want to ignore states' rights when it comes to, like fuel efficiency standards and uh, the right of California to say, no, we're, you know, if you want to do business here in California, these are the standards that you have to uh, that you have to meet. Well, now this week, the EPA and the national this would be uh, I was going to say Scott Pruitt's EPA, but now it's Andrew Wheeler's EPA. Either way, it's Donald Trump's EPA. Right. And Donald Trump's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. This week, they are expected to propose barring California from setting its own fuel economy rules at all. Trump administration uh, could therefore give a major boost to oil consumption, which would have fallen by some 12 billion barrels and saved consumers some 3,200 to 5,700 in gas costs over the uh, over a vehicle's lifetime under the existing rule, under the rule that was the agreement under uh, under Barack Obama. Right. So. The administration is coming in. They came up with this plan that was going to burn less fuel, was going to save consumers about three to six thousand dollars. And that's what they want to do away with. That's what they want to prevent California from being able to do. Well, there's a very simple explanation. There is money in your pocket. They want that money to go to the fossil fuel industry. Right. Automakers don't want it. Consumers uh, don't want it, don't want this to be changed. Because uh, it's going to cost them more money. So who wants it? Well, yes, the oil industry wants it. 
And apparently that's good enough. And it's even too far from what the automobile industry had originally asked Trump for when he came into office. They said, we make a lot of money on SUVs. Can you uh, back off on these uh, this tightening of standards for just a little bit? And he went way further than that, much further than the automakers even requested. Bloomberg's uh, coverage notes that agencies are expected to claim this is hysterical that the federal agencies they're going they're expected to claim uh, that doing away with this agreement will reduce traffic fatalities by making it cheaper for drivers to replace older, less safe cars while pairing sticker prices for new vehicles, even if motorists have to buy more gasoline. So they're going to claim, much as they claim uh, for these uh, various tariffs, that these are national security reasons that they're doing it, they're going to claim that this is meant to uh, keep Americans safer by reducing fatalities because it will make new cars cheaper than new they cars might that have otherwise have been, yeah. And then that way the consumer New cars will... that have better safety features, presumably, right? right? So know, we'll all be able to afford to buy those new cars more thanks to what they're doing. Yeah, and uh, it, if it sounds crazy, it's because it is. I mean, it's complete and total nonsense. Uh, since fuel efficiency standards were first implemented in the 1970s, traffic fatalities have gone down. It's not an issue as far as fuel efficiency, because some people will also claim, oh, you know, these lighter weight vehicles, they're not as uh, they're not as safe. That's not true. Well, none uh, of that is true. And also this idea that it's going to reduce traffic fatalities because consumers will suddenly buy new cars. There's no evidence for that, of course. But they're also not factoring in the costs and deaths related to increased air pollution. So more people will die from the air pollution. As well. That's the social cost of carbon that we would were be talking the, yes, about. Yes, exactly. Paul Court, an attorney for Earth Justice, which is a San Francisco-based environmental group, says that California has done the math and it has concluded that the only way to meet both its greenhouse gas goals and its ozone targets is to move away from fossil fuel-based transportation. The law is very clear about California's authority to set these standards. And now he says for the EPA to try to uh, narrow it now means they have an uphill battle. Uh, California is going to, uh, well, a lot of states are probably going to be back in court on this. For its part, California rejects the idea that it's 48 years of ability to write its own tailpipe emissions uh, rules should end. Dan Sperling, a member of uh, the California State Air Resources Board, said we have the law on our side as well as the people of the country and the people of the world. California and 16 other states plus the District of Columbia filed a lawsuit back in May seeking to block the Trump administration efforts to unravel these emissions. uh, Well, all of the Obama era emissions targets. Sperling uh, with... uh, uh, who is he from? Uh, with I think the, he's at NRDC. One of the, yeah, uh, he said that the number will uh, grow. The number of uh, states who are suing the Trump administration will grow as more people come to realize how fundamentally Trump is attacking the idea of states' rights. Uh, Steve Malloy, you know who he is? Yes. One of these... Uh, climate science climate, denier. Yeah. He actually used to work for the tobacco industry to help them deny the science that tobacco kills people. Hey, it's a living. (laughs) Killing people, apparently, is a living. 
he says uh, he's a, a policy advisor for the Heartland Institute. They're the ones who called uh, folks like uh, you and me, Desi Doyne. They compared us to Charles Manson and the Unabomber, yeah. as I recall. Uh, he said they said to, the same thing about the Pope, by the way. So. He, they compared the Pope to, yeah. to the Unabomber. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. uh, so Malloy said uh, Congress didn't intend for California to set national fuel econ- economy standards. It's nutty. It's been allowed to develop. National fuel economy standards are set by the federal government. So that's what we are going to do. And I read this quote and I thought to myself, we? Who's We? This guy works for the Heartland Institute. He does not work for the federal government, and yet he's saying that we are going to change the policy that uh, for almost 50 years has allowed California the state's right to set its own standards when it comes to things. But uh, the Heartland Institute, uh, you are now the federal government? Apparently so. And I just want to point out, letting California set its own standards. If you've ever traveled to California, if you've seen any photos of California from the late 70s when the pollution was so bad in California, you couldn't see across the street, I'm told, from folks who were here at the time. Those mileage standards have made a huge difference and have cleaned up California's air. It is an experiment in action showing you, hey, this stuff actually works. And that was all a part of the Clean Air Act, which uh, the Trump administration is just trying to gut and gutting. And that's what drives me crazy. We'll take a quick break, come back and talk about another story on this that I've been trying to get to, because, you know, you can agree or you can disagree with any particular policy. But the idea that Republicans are out there calling for states rights and smaller government and local control. And that that's what Republicans believe in. That is just the actual opposite of the truth. And yet, somehow, they continue to be able to get away with it. We'll uh, do our best to stop them from getting away with it with another story and much more straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. I don't want to set the world on fire I just want to start a flame in your heart Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So we're uh, talking about, uh, and don't worry, we will get to some solutions here. A little bit. Yes. uh, With some voting news coming up uh, in a bit. But we're talking about how Republicans pretend that they care about states' rights, about small government, about local control. They don't. They are lying. And it is killing us. Literally. 
this is a story that I actually I wanted to get to since uh, I think uh, last month, but um, because it's both encouraging and distressing at the same time. But Texas progressives have a shot at a major policy victory that would make life easier for many hundreds of thousands of working people in Texas. To stop them, however, state Republicans are set to try to roll back local democracy. So we have to go back to a February here uh, for the beginning of this story uh, when Austin City Council passed an ordinance requiring businesses to provide paid sick leave. The city ordinance and the the city council, the democratically elected city council in Austin, uh, passed this ordinance to provide that businesses had to provide paid sick leave. And now activists are poised to get similar measures on the November ballot in both San Antonio and Dallas via citizen-led initiatives, ballot initiatives. These are very popular um, ideas, paid sick leave. But all of these folks who are trying to do this at the local level, at the grassroots level, they're getting ready for the next stage of the battle because um, if these measures pass, on the ballot, if voters actually vote for them, they expect that the uh, GOP-led state legislature will uh, file to block them after they are passed by the voters. And if that doesn't work, Republicans, according to uh, TPM's Allegra Kirkland, are likely to pull out an even more potent weapon. That would be something called preemption. That could expand the fight over paid sick days into a more elemental battle over the authority of local governments to set their own direction. Again, when you hear Republicans say this is, uh, you know, the people who are closest uh, to these issues, they know best. They don't actually mean that. And they're willing to use, yes, big government to keep that from happening. Kirkland writes that in recent years in states from Wisconsin to Alabama, cities have passed progressive economic, environmental and public health policies only to see GOP controlled state governments use preemption laws, laws that bar cities and counties from passing their own regulations in order to wipe out those advances. Texas where progressive, racially diverse big cities are increasingly at odds with these so-called conservative state governments, so conservative that they want to keep citizens from making their own laws in their own cities. Is that what you think of as a conservative? Because for years and years I've been saying, stop calling these people conservatives. They are not conservatives. Anyway, uh, Texas has been a particular... Uh, a preemption hotspot. Governor Greg Abbott, Republican, pledged after he took office back in 2015 to use preemption laws to, quote, limit the ability of cities to Californiaize the great state of Texas. Does that sound conservative to you? At least in the sense of what conservative used to actually mean versus what it means now, which is Republican. It's only a word for Republican. It doesn't actually have any meaning, and it drives me absolutely nuts when uh, media outlets use it as if it does, as if these people are actual conservatives. They are not. In any event, uh, since Abbott came to office in 2015, the state has passed laws forbidding cities and counties from creating uh, so-called sanctuary city protections, even though law enforcement generally supports such protections. 
So they're against uh, cities and counties taking action, and they're also against law enforcement. And yet somehow they get credited with just the opposite in our media. They have passed preemption laws uh, that regulate oil and gas drilling. For example, uh, there was a measure, uh, well, the, the state passed a measure that invalidated a 2014 ballot initiative, which was the product of grass uh, of a grassroots campaign. We talked uh, about it at the time. We spoke with someone who was uh, behind uh, the grassroots campaign uh, that banned fracking in the city of Denton, Texas. The voters chose to ban fracking in the city of Denton, Texas, and the big government at the state level, where's the Texas capital? Austin. Austin. The big government uh, Austin uh, Republicans. Republicans, uh, Yes, just overrode uh, that decision by the voters. And a notable quote from the point at which uh, the state legislature, the Republican majority state legislature in Texas, they called it ending the tyranny of local control. (laughs) Man. That's a quote. They are good at this, aren't they? Yep. They are good at this. They can take any the tyranny of local control. I thought it was the tyranny of big government. Take your pick, I guess. Um, Mark Perchuk, director of progressive advocacy advocacy group Grassroots Change, which has tracked the uh, preemption trend in uh, in Texas and elsewhere. Uh, told TPM that the state legislature in Texas has essentially declared war on local democracy in Texas. He went on to say, however, that folks that want a higher minimum wage, benefits like paid sick days and family leave, they have the ability to put together a very good opposition to preemption, and they can do it in a nonpartisan way. The proposal in question here regarding paid sick leave... um, the uh, is identical across these three cities, and it would require employers to provide one hour, one hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours worked with an annual cap of six or eight days, depending on the size of the business. Advocates say it would prevent workers from having to show up sick out of fear of losing wages needed to cover basic expenses like rent or grocery or of even losing their jobs outright. The policy would also allow parents to take time off to care for sick children. You would think this would be a good thing. You would think that uh, businesses don't want sick people showing up at uh, work. Yeah. Oh, think about it like this. You like to go to restaurants? Do you want a sick waiter or waitress or fast food worker at the place that you're going to eat? Serving your food? Governor Abbott, however, has warned that the paid sick leave measure would be, quote, crushing for businesses and said that the state needs a uniform set of regulations to ensure predictability for the private sector. So this is the new this is the other new thing for right wingers uniformity. They've been using it in recent years to keep certain jurisdictions, for example, from uh, having longer early voting hours than other jurisdictions under the notion that we need uniformity. Uniformity is needed, even though voting jurisdictions are not themselves uniform. They are all different. They all have different needs. Some have, uh, for example, many more voters per precinct. But these uniformity fetishists don't seem to demand uniformity in those cases for some odd reason. They don't demand that there be a certain number of precincts for a certain number of voters. They only worry about uniformity when they 
can use such claims to put limits onto the onto access to the polls for some odd reason. So now it's uniformity to fight the tyranny of local control. And let's just point out that, yeah. you know, with California going back to the EPA and California having yeah. its waiver to set its own standards, the whole idea of that agreement with the Obama administration and the automakers in 2009 was to have uniformity, uniformity and across the nation and regulatory certainty, a one standard for the whole nation. And now Trump has blown that up. And, you know, it's... Well, I was going to say it's 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 remarkable that uh, these ideas that we're talking about here are so infrequently heard in our mainstream media, certainly across our public airwaves on the radio, because, you know, progressives like Desi and Desi and I, you know, have to sneak on basically <laughs> uh, everywhere else you go. You hear right wingers uh, talking about all of this nonsense over our public airwaves. Anyway, the Houston Chronicle had uh, quoted Abbott back in April saying, quote, I believe uh, talking about this um, this, uh, sick leave uh, initiatives for voters, he said, quote, I believe it will lead to many small businesses having to shut down and will cause a reduction in employment opportunities for so many Texans. Yes, he's worried about employment opportunities for those Texans. And yet, in a study of New York City's uh, policy by the Center for Economic and Policy Research, close to 85% of employers reported no effect whatsoever on their business expenses overall after more than a year of having a similar policy in New York City. 86% expressed support for the law. A University of Washington study of Seattle's similar ordinance found that employers initially feared that it was going to increase their labor costs by a substantial amount and cause staffing shortages. But after a year, the study said most of the initial fears had totally faded and work, uh, workers typically used much less leave than employers had expected. One Houston businessman by the name of Andrew White said in a statement that was quoted by the Houston Chronicle, Governor Abbott's weird crusade to tell Texas cities what they can and can't do, whether on paid sick leave, bathroom bills, tree ordinances or fracking, doesn't fly. He said, what's next? Telling us where we can worship, shop and when to mow the lawn? He uh, went on to add how Texas politics have changed. Democrats support local governments making their own decisions, while extremist Republicans want to take this freedom away. By waging the campaign for paid sick leave in three of Texas's four biggest cities simultaneously and using ballot initiatives, really the most democratic form of government that voters have access to, Uh, In order to show that the policy has broad popular support, progressives aim to undermine GOP opposition. The goal is to drive voters to the polls, both to support a measure that directly benefits them and to change the composition of a legislature, a state legislature that seems intent on reining in the power of cities to govern themselves. If the measures get enough uh, valid signatures and then are approved by voters, sick leave supporters will then likely need to fight off the GOP's preemption efforts. Already, Attorney General Ken Paxton, the Republican, uh, another Republican who is so, quote, conservative that he doesn't want voters to be able to change their own laws. That's how conservative Paxton is. 
He's the state's top law enforcement official, and I believe he continues to be under indictment for securities fraud, if I recall. And yet, he's still the top law enforcement official in Texas. Uh, anyway, Paxton has, uh, has appeared to lay the groundwork uh, joining a lawsuit against Austin's paid sick leave that was passed by the city council. Uh, the suit was brought by business groups, and Paxton has joined that, uh, brought the state of Texas down on the Austin City Council. He has argued that Texas law already bars cities and states from imposing economic regulations, including paid sick days, has accused Austin of trying to, quote, usurp the authority of the state lawmakers chosen by Texas voters. That's funny. He was not making that same argument, uh, Ken Paxton, when he was uh, suing, when he is suing against Obamacare, the authority of federal lawmakers chosen by American voters. Paxton said in a statement at the uh, at the end of April that the Austin City Council's disdain and blatant disregard for the rule of law is an attempt to unlawfully and inappropriately usurp the authority of state lawmakers. And they must be stopped, he added. Uh, didn't this, we had a, we, we talked about this, I can't remember, it was a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a bag ban that one of the cities in Texas, a, a plastic bag ban that one of the cities had passed. Yes, uh, so Laredo, Texas, which is down right. in South Texas, uh, they had passed a plastic bag ban because plastic bag pollution everywhere was clogging up drains and creating a total problem for trash and waste collection. So they uh, said, listen, it's costing us extra money, so we're just going to implement one of these plastic bag bans uh, that the have... The city did. The, the city, city did. Laredo. The city yeah. of Laredo that, you know, these have worked all over the country in states everywhere. Now, what possible sort of preemption could they possibly use to keep a city from banning, if they want, plastic bags? I could sort of understand, okay, uh, fracking, uh, wells may cross the borders of, of cities and counties and or something. And you've got mineral rights maybe. and, you know, there's a lot of different federal and state laws. But that can what have- reason in on God's once green earth, could the state of Texas come up to say that you can't have a ban on plastic bags if you want one in Laredo? Well, the Laredo uh, Ma- Merchants Association sued, took it all the way to the Texas State Supreme Court. The Texas State Supreme Court says, mm, no, you can't establish a plastic bag ban no matter how much it costs you and your taxpayers to clean it up. You cannot have a plastic bag ban because it conflicts with a state law that regards solid solid waste disposal. So it's preempted by this state law, and you have to go to the Republican Texas state legislature to get a plastic bag ban passed if you want to deal with the pollution that's costing you money. There you see it. Once again, the power of big bag <laughs> on our uh, politics. Uh, on, one more point here uh, before we uh, take a break, and we'll talk about what we can do about it, all of this. Uh, a recent study by the Center for Public Policy Priorities found that uh, the lack of paid sick days in Texas affects some 4.3 million Texans. That is almost 40% of the state's workforce. Are you paying attention, Texas? The people that you elected to your state government want you to go to work sick. 4.3 million of you, 40% of the state workforce. 
That same report finds an estimated 39% of workers in San Antonio, 41% in Dallas do not have access to paid sick leave. And uh, you'll be shocked to learn that Hispanic, low-income, and part-time workers in Texas are the least likely to be able to accrue paid sick leave, according to that report. So... We now got an election coming up in just a little bit over 100 days where uh, you and me and everyone else can try to start doing something about this. The emphasis, of course, is on the word try. I will explain why right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. If you change your mind, take a chance on the first in line. Take a chance on the I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. If you got no place to go, when you're feeling down. Well, Mama Mia, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Nevada voters, no, I'm sorry, Nevada voters. Oh, I'm <laughs> in trouble. Nevada voters. Uh, could take a chance on uh, on women in the state legislature this year. In fact, they could soon make history by electing the country's first female majority state legislature. Nice. I, and I guess I had never thought about it, but yeah, I guess we've never had a female majority state legislature in this country. That seems long overdue. Uh, women, after winning a record number of primary contests last month in the state, could make up nearly two-thirds of the state house by November 7, the Reno Gazette Journal reported. Women, based on their uh, party registration and the partisan makeup of their districts, are favored to control 27 seats heading into the 2019 Nevada legislature, 19 in the Assembly, 8 in the Senate. According to an analysis by the Reno Gazette Journal, uh, still, they have to add at least five seats, including four in highly competitive assembly districts, to secure a 32-seat majority. But this could be pretty cool. Now, uh, I'm not even talking about whether they're Republican or Democratic at this point. This would just be women. Just women in the majority. That I'm, sounds great to me. I am in favor of it. Uh, and you notice in, uh, you know, in, in the previous segments, we were talking about the hypocrisy of the Republicans. It's not even about the particular policies that they have. It's about the hypocrisy. You know, if they want to make sure that everybody in the world uses a plastic bag every single day and pollutes as much as possible, okay, so be it. Go fight for that position rather than claim you are doing something that you are not, rather than claiming you're in favor of small government when you are not, when you are doing just the opposite of it. That's what drives me nuts. The hypocrisy, the lies. And being able to pass that BS uh, across to voters. So, 
voters have a chance to do something about all of this BS that is not just coming from, you know, places like Republicans in Texas, but from the White House itself and the constant BS that we have chosen by and large, at least for today, to not cover. Yep. There are other things happening in the world, you know. Uh, But uh, to that end, uh, voters will have a chance to do something about it in a little over 100 days at the ballot box. But I emphasize uh, a chance, a chance that they're going to have to fight like hell for states around the country purged more than 16 million voters from the rolls between 2014 and 2016. That number is calculated in a new report published on Friday by the Brennan Center for Justice, and it is a significant increase in purged voters from previous years. And uh, the report notes an indication that large numbers of eligible voters are likely being disenfranchised by inaccurate and unlawful voter roll maintenance. The report comes just a few weeks after the U.S. Supreme Court, you will recall, ruled in favor of Ohio's voter purge system, which begins the purge process if voters miss just one single federal election. Yes, even a low turnout midterm uh, can uh, knock you off the rolls in the Buckeye state. Uh, According to the U.S. Supreme Court, they can uh, they're fine with their purge system. And uh, that U.S. Supreme Court decision clears the way, of course, for more states to move forward with similar types of purges that disproportionately impact low-income and minority voters. A study by Reuters found that voters in Democratic-leaning areas of Ohio, for instance, were twice as likely to be purged under these uh, these, uh, rules as those living in Republican areas of the Buckeye State. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, and yet that's what the facts and the data tell us. For the two years before the 2016 election, the number of purged voters across the country increased 33 percent over the two years prior to the 2008 presidential election, according to the report. Myrna Perez, uh, the deputy director of the democracy program at the Brennan Center for Justice, she's been a guest on this show. Uh, She's the head of their Voting Rights and Elections Project. She wrote about the new study in The New York Times last week. She said this fall, millions of Americans may head to the polls only to find their names aren't on voter registration lists anymore. These voters may have to cast provisional ballots or worse, they could be turned away from the polls altogether. The cause, she says, voter purges. Purge rates are on the rise across the country and particularly, she notes, in a cluster of southern states that are no longer under certain protections of the Voting Rights Act. And unlike anti-voter legislation, bad voter purges often happen in an office with the stroke of a keyboard, meaning that voters are knocked off the rolls and yet may not even realize what is happening until it is too late. She notes, over the past 12 months, our team of researchers and attorneys has poured over data from 6,600 cities, towns, and counties across the country and find that the median rate of purging across the country has risen from 6.2% to 7.8% since 2008. She says that may sound like a small jump, but it amounts to about about four million more people being purged 
four million voters, four million voters, perhaps voters like you and me. She says we attribute much of the rise to the ballooning uh, to ballooning purge rates in many of the places once subject to the preclearance section of the Voting Rights Act that had protected against discrimination by requiring places with a troubled history of racial discrimination at the polls to seek approval from the federal government or courts before they could make changes to voting laws. In 2013, the Supreme Court, you will recall, knocked down that section of the Voting Rights Act, and the Brennan Center analysis shows that since then, purge rates in places that used to have to go through preclearance to get approval for the way they uh, did their purges, uh, the purge rates in those places has ramped up. She says, in fact, two million more people were booted from registration lists between 2012 and 2016 in jurisdictions covered by preclearance than would have been kicked off if the purge rates in those areas continued at the same rate uh, as jurisdictions that were not subject to the preclearance. So the preclearance that they no longer have to go through uh, has meant that, boom, uh, purge rates have skyrocketed. And very few people even notice until they show up to vote and find out they're no longer on the rolls. The Brennan Center report released on Friday notes that previously covered jurisdictions that were covered by the uh, preclearance requirements of the Voting Rights Act ended up removing more than nine million voters between the presidential elections of 2012 and 2016. Texas, back to Texas, Des, sorry, mm -hmm. and other jurisdictions um, that did not report their removal rate in that period, they were excluded from the top-line analysis here. So those numbers could be even higher. The Brennan Center analysis shows that as regions once covered by the preclearance provisions of the Voting Rights Act increased their purge rates, so too did the number of people who showed up to vote at the polling place but were unable to cast a regular ballot. She notes uh, their concern is not limited only to southern states where this happened. They found that over the past five years, four states have engaged in illegal purges. That would be Florida, New York, North Carolina and Virginia. And another four states, Alabama, Arizona, Indiana and Maine, have written policies that are in direct violation of the National Voter Registration Act which helps protect against such purges. Far too many states, she adds, are recklessly purging their voter lists, disregarding federal law, and ignoring evidence that shows the data they are using is deeply flawed. And I just want to point out that these were not just southeast uh, red states with a history of racial discrimination. You also mentioned New York yeah. and Maine. These are other states that are outside, which you would probably maybe expect. So it should you really should be checking your registration no matter what exactly. state you're in. Which is exactly why, why I'm bringing this up. And, you know, we're, we're going to have to bring this up a whole lot in the next hundred days to remind people Check your voter registration. And just because you checked it yesterday doesn't mean you won't be purged tomorrow. Uh, you can usually go on your uh, Secretary of State's website to find out if you are properly registered to vote. The, uh, the, the Trump administration, Republican administrations are uh, pushing a lot of folks off the polls. Uh, a lot of folks who, uh, you know, including I had a story we may maybe we'll get to it uh, later in the week um, about naturalized citizens. 
who are suddenly finding themselves for some reason no longer on the voting rolls in some states, even though they are citizens. They're being removed and they're going onto the website. I think it was uh, in Tennessee. A bunch of people went onto the website and, and were told they are not citizens. Therefore, they are not registered to vote. They can't change their voter registration, et cetera, et cetera. So all I'm saying is uh, check your voter registration. All right. I want to and, yeah. and help your friends and your family. Let them know as well. Uh, a lot of uh, disturbing news in on, on today's uh, broadcast, so let's uh, get out with something a little bit more encouraging. And this actually takes me by surprise. Uh, the movement to take politics out of setting legislative district boundaries seemed to suffer a grievous and perhaps even mortal blow this spring when the U.S. Supreme Court passed up three chances to declare partisan gerrymandering unconstitutional. But, as it turns out... Um, reports of uh, the uh, the death of uh, doing something about partisan gerrymandering are apparently exaggerated. Federal courts are dithering over how to resolve the issue, but activists have begun tackling it at the state level, at the grassroots. And they seem to be having uh, some pretty impressive success in recent weeks. So the U.S. Supreme Court did nothing when they had the chance to uh, get rid of partisan gerrymandering, at least for now, and they, in fact, undid, uh, you know, for example, the federal appeals court in North Carolina found that the entire U.S. House map should be thrown out because it's a partisan gerrymander. But the U.S. Supreme Court allowed it to stand again for yet another election. But voters are taking action in Michigan, a proposed constitutional amendment to end gerrymandering written and promoted by a nonpartisan group called Voters Not Politicians. That uh, amendment will be on the ballot in November, unless blocked by a court challenge that has so far fallen short, but Republicans are challenging that in Michigan. So many Michiganders signed petitions to bring the measure to a vote that the group ended its signature campaign 70 days short of the six months allotted. In fact, they had 110,000 more more signatures than state law requires. In Missouri, another nonpartisan group called Clean Missouri needed 180,000 signatures to get its anti-gerrymander initiative on the ballot. They collected 346,000. In Utah, a group called Better Boundaries collected 190,000 signatures. That is 75,000 more than were required. And in Colorado, both the Democratic-run State House and Republican-run Senate voted unanimously in May to place two proposals on the ballot that would shift the duty to draw state legislative and congressional districts away from lawmakers and into the hands of independent redistricting commissions. So there's some uh, good news. Uh, at least for now, I suspect we'll cover those more in the future. I got to get out. But uh, where the federal government is failing us, state governments and voters, frankly, are stepping up as long as some state governments don't block them from doing so. Got to get out uh, more on our next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. 
Good luck, world.